Hello, my friends. Welcome to the 2023 edition of the Encounter Mercy podcast. Uh, I am your many? co-host, Father AJ Gedney. What? Well, yeah, that it's many? Like the year. We haven't done that many podcasts, oh, but I was going to say because it sounds like we're saying that that is how many podcasts we've done. No, I'm saying like it, this is a 2023 edition. Like oh, this year's oh, edition. Okay. okay. Um, All right. Who are you again? I don't. I am Father. I? I am the. I'm the Reverend Father Alexander John Gedney, uh, the Diocese oh. of Covington. I'm joined. And I'm, I'm Father gonna, Andy. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to make a name. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, take a guess. Take a guess. Uh, the Reverend Father Andrew uh, Jehoshaphat Boyd. Jehoshaphat. I like it. I like it. That sounds good. Good to see you again, Father. It's wonderful to be here with you in this new year. Yep. Wonderful things are ahead of us, hopefully, this year, as I think we can always say that we look forward to the new year, that there is potential for something great. You know, there's there's a custom in the world to come up with a New Year's resolution. So I have to ask, did you do you have a New Year's resolution for yourself this year? I think it's just a continuing thing. Um, so I, I have six months of priesthood under my belt, um, and so I just want to I want to build on that, where things are just very very slowly getting less scary. Um, yeah. And so I'm just looking forward to this year because I'll start things will start to overlap. So you know I'll hit a year in early June. Um, so I think I'm looking forward to this year because it's just kind of six more six more months of new things. Um, or at least things will become familiar. I had a good priest friend of mine who became a pastor. He said, you don't stop having firsts, but I oh, think no. is, you know, now I know what Christmas is like and, you know, yeah. I'm make sure like I get prepared for, for Holy week. Um, so I'm just, I'm, my resolution is just to, you know, keep on keeping on, um, keep, you know, running the race. Well, that's a smart way to look at it. And I, you know, you're right with the whole, uh, it's always going to be, you're going to have another first coming along at some point. And I have to say first, time celebrating Christmas as the pastor is interesting because there were certain things that I had to make sure I remembered that, uh, you know, I didn't have to worry about before. So it was, um, that, that is so true. Your firsts never really kind of go away. Uh, you constantly are having firsts and, and that's not a bad thing, you know, cause I think it keeps, uh, the variety of life is, it makes it a bit more interesting and keeps you on your toes. So that way you make sure you're doing everything the way you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so um, we start this year um, somewhat of a somber note. So uh, yes, at the very end of last year, uh, our Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI passed away. Um, his uh, funeral details have come out, as well as uh, guidelines for each for that for uh, American dioceses to uh, celebrate his life and, and pray for him uh, in his death. Uh, his funeral is uh, this coming week on January fifth. Um, we'll talk about that, but I think. Um, let's talk about when he first became Pope, right? So yeah. he was the, um, I believe the article said the Dean of the college of Cardinals is right. the Dean and vice Dean are second and third in command next to the Pope. And so, um, he was uh, Cardinal Joseph Rotzinger, right. Uh, from Bavaria and Germany. Um, and when he was the Dean of the college of Cardinals, I know he worked very closely with John Paul II. Um, so I think a lot of people would say that's one of the reasons why he got uh, nominated and voted into the papacy is that um, he worked so closely with JP too. And we know that in the last years of uh, Pope St. John Paul II's life, um, his health was declining and he couldn't do as much writing or speaking. And so um, yeah, I, I think to flesh out documents and things like that, um, Rotzinger would help. Um, but do you remember where we were, uh, right? We were, we were both in, in eighth grade and uh, eighth Catholic grade. middle school, right? 
Yeah, I remember that day very well. Yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's kind of burned in my memory just because of how exciting it was. But I don't think I understood it as much then as I did now. You know, um, but I, I remember when he uh, was elected pope. I was in eighth grade, and I was in um, Mrs. Tina Frick's classroom because she was my homeroom teacher, and she taught religion for us in eighth grade at Our Lady of Mount Carmel School. And I just remember them wheeling in the TV on the cart, you know, joking with you before, these young kids, they don't understand what it was like to have the TV cart wheeled into the classroom and how exciting that was. And uh, we skipped lunch. We sat in the classroom mm -hmm. and ate lunch that day so we could watch the news as uh, Pope Benedict came on the news and uh, came on the TV and gave the first blessing. And what an amazing thing to that was. How about you, AJ? Do you remember exactly where you were yes um or maybe i just have a memory of i think shortly after he was elected um the eighth graders uh, at my school we were tasked with training uh, i think third graders or fourth graders to serve to be altar servers sure and i remember to remember his the new pope's name i wrote it on my hand in blue ink so i just remember on my left hand it was pope benedict 16th and then um you know cardinal george ratzinger uh his baptized name because I remember talking to the little kids about it. They'd either ask, what's in your hand? Or I'd say, hey, do you know why today's important? Because, um, of course, you know, we had gotten the, the day off school uh, when we learned that right. John Paul II had died. And I think this, too, was an important papacy because uh, for, I think, 20, 27 years or so, uh, JP2 was pope. So people had grown up and were adults and had they knew one pope. That was right. it. They knew John Paul II. Um, and so to have another one, I think, is uh, was pretty historic. I even remember, and uh, when they did the funeral for John Paul II, uh, my grandmother had a VCR, and we didn't have one at my house. And so I remember recording it on her VCR because it was again like at uh, the crack of dawn for us. It was um, three thirty in the morning, just like when uh, Benedict's funeral will be three thirty in the morning Eastern Standard Time. So that's my time zone. And um, I, I just remember recording and trying to watch it back and how grainy the picture was and things like that. And, <laughs> um, but uh, I, that was so important to me to be able to watch that because I, I, I had heard so much about John Paul II that I wanted to see his funeral. Um, so now, again, you know, with Benedict's passing, I want to see the funeral. Now, I can't watch it live. I, I do have to sleep and I have to be up for work on Thursday like the rest of the world. But I totally intend to watch the playback of it later because I really want to be able to watch that and and be able to have participated in it in a way. So, but how about, you know, Benedict, he was elected when we were in eighth grade. So that makes it 2006, was it? I think, let me double check. I think it's 2005. That could be, that would make more sense. Yes. Yep. Because John Paul II died on April 2nd, 2005. Okay. All right. So uh, then in any event, we were uh, talking about watching this. And then uh, do you remember when uh, he decided to step down where you were when that happened? Let's see. That was 2013. Yeah. I was in college. Yep. Um, and at that point in my life, I wasn't – well, I mean, I was a full-time engineering student. Right. Kind of like – in and out of co-ops and things like that in class. So I don't think I was really paying attention that much um, or I wasn't plugged into the church world as much as I was maybe um, like 
later in college or after college. Sure. Um, I do remember the election of Pope Francis. Um, but I think, and it's kind of funny to say it like, I couldn't imagine what seminary was like when Benedict the 16th or when he stepped down. Um, it was interesting. Know, how much? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh you, were you in seminary at that point? I was in college seminary. Whoa, it really? was very interesting because what happened, I remember waking up one day and my phone had blown up overnight of just like all this information of Pope steps down first time in 600 years. And everybody, uh, um, when we went to mass and breakfast, we all kind of said, ah, this is fake news, you know, before fake news was a thing. Like, we're like, nah, this isn't real. And then we started paying attention, listening more. I'm like, wait a minute, this is real. This is real. And um, then it all came out that he did decide to step down and he, uh, you know, became the first in 600 years, as we know, uh, the first po uh, Pope Emeritus, the first retired Pope. Um, and, and it's just so fascinating to think of that. And I, I, I remember that day. And then I remember even more so the day when um, they, when Francis was elected. And I remember when Francis was elected, I was in college seminary still, of course, and I was at St. Mark's up in Erie. And we were waiting for the information, waiting for the announcement, and everybody's down at Gannon, and we're all the seminarians like huddled together, like, okay, who's the next pope? Who's the next pope? And it's taking forever. And so someone said, all right, let's get in the van, because we had a seminary van, and drive from college at Gannon up to the seminary. And by the time we get up there, they're about to announce it, and the bishop is waiting at the one door first. He's like, come on, come on, get in here quickly, because they had it on the uh, big screen in the conference room down on the first floor and so we're all sitting in the conference room and the news media is all there and as soon as they say Jorge Maria Bergoglio I had an iPad at the time and I immediately look this guy's name up and find anything out on him that I can and the bishop comes over and he says give me that <laughs> takes the iPad out of my hand and he's reading as fast as he can about this guy because the news media is going to question him any second now about who this man is um, so I remember when that when he was elected so just just a fascinating whole cycle of events but you know grant we're not here today about francis yet thank god he's still our pope and he's still alive but these are all the things that are kind of important with the connection to benedict and how important he is now for us and the church and the things that he's done so yeah i remember yeah. those days those were interesting days in the seminary i bet um i think one of the greatest achievements for benedict um, and even in his life before he was Pope is just his uh, theological prowess. Yes. Right. Just author of an, an unbelievable amount of books, um, an incredibly sharp mind. Um, I think, uh, I'm not sure who you had for ecclesiology in the seminary, but I think in that class, I read the most Benedict. Um, yes. You know, he had books like, you know, called the communion, um, pilgrim fellowship of faith. Um, I know father Ed uses, uh, Ratzinger's dogma and preaching. Yes. And fundamental theology, which I have right here. I use it all the time. Um, it's just on every, ch every uh, church feast and church season. Um, and it's kind of a collection of his works. So I actually, once I kind of unpacked my, my books in my suite in the rectory, um, I have a section that's just Benedict stuff. Yeah. Um, cause you know, cause if you're in, se if you're in seminary in the last mm, 15 years or so, like you probably read a lot of Benedict. Yeah. Yeah. And, and his writings were so prolific that to this day, they are some of the uh, modern backbone of the church's understanding of theology and how his explanation and his personal engagement with theology uh, was important. Uh, you know, he, he just did so much writing, like you said, that 
it wasn't just of dogma. It wasn't just of here's what the church believes. He put it in terms of here's what the church believes. Here is what I understand that to mean and how I put it into my daily practice. And for me, that was always important because um, sitting and reading a textbook, I think anybody could fall asleep for the most part too after a while. But reading how someone's life has embodied what they're talking about really kind of makes a difference. I think that's like you said in the book about preaching, he makes that so evident in that book about how we need to put these things into practice and how we need to make this a part of who we are. Yeah, I think a couple of these books, I was just asked to present on a chapter, like, like for a presentation. And it was for a couple of these books, they're so profound. I after the class ended, I went back and read the book, um, like for enjoyment. Yeah, um, as, as, as weird as that sounds, it is weird. But it, he is so engaged, like you said, he's very engaging. Um, it, it can it can be heavy, but yes. Um, if you stick with it, it, it's very rewarding and very fruitful. Um, I think one of my favorite things I read again on uh, his ecclesiology, um, the study of the church itself. He had a, a section that I presented on. It was about uh, Petrine primacy, right? Um, and in uh, in other terms, uh, that Saint Peter was the first pope, in that uh, he had uh, more stature or status among the apostles. And it's interesting, Nick speaks to his character too, is he ha- makes a threefold argument and he starts from the hardest point first, right? So I think he might talk about, I mean, it's like Acts of the Apostles, where it's like, um, you know, St. Peter has, he's always named first. Um, he's a part of that group, Peter, James, and John, uh, which go off to with Jesus do various things. Um, there's another there's another argument he makes from scripture. And of course, like Matthew um, chapter 12 or so, where Christ gives Peter the keys of the church. But I just thought that was interesting, and that's helped me defend Petrine primacy is, you know, uh, that's just good rhetoric and logic, right? That you start with, like, what's the harder argument to make? And then, of course, there's like, then you go to the easiest one. So that just, I read that several years ago, and that just stuck with me that, you know, if you're writing on the on these theological works that you would do it the opposite. But like you said, it's, it's practical in a sense that if you were debating with someone about this, you could, um, you can continue to strengthen your argument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So do you want to talk about uh, what his, uh, well, how about, let's start small scale and get large. So how about, how do we celebrate his life and death um, here in the U.S.? Absolutely. What, what, what kind of things can we do? Well, I would, I would make a uh, bold presumption that anybody that went to church this past weekend probably saw some homage to the Holy Father in their church. For instance, in my church, uh, I took an older picture of him uh, that we had here framed from when he was Pope and placed it on a tripod in the front of church with some black fabric and a um, uh, violet candle and have it lit there. And it will remain there through the traditional nine days of mourning for the Pope. And so that starts on the day of the funeral and goes from nine days following. So for us, we'll be through uh, the uh, Friday, the 13th of January. Um, And so that will stay there. I also put black, black bunting on the one entrance of church. I didn't have enough fabric to do anywhere else. So the one church entrance is covered in black bunting. Throughout the dioceses of the United States, the church has been asked to celebrate masses in honor of the Holy Father. And so, for instance, in my diocese, uh, we are celebrating mass at 1210 on the funeral day in the cathedral, and the bishop will be celebrating. Other priests are being asked to do it in their parishes, uh, and I'm 
sure that there are other celebrations going on throughout our diocese for his the repose of his soul. Uh, in all of my masses this weekend during the Eucharistic prayer, I would add in his name as a part of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also uh, was doing at all the masses mentioning him in the petition. So there's just some of the ways that our parishes might be. Uh, how about you, Father? Any ways that your parish decided to remember? Um, I think we're just following what uh, we've been asked to do by the bishop. So, of course, on the day of his death, uh, it was announced, you know, um, he, he, we were given some sample intercessions that every day we put those in the end of the intercessions, you know, to pray for our Pope Emeritus, uh, Benedict Sixteenth. Um, our uh, our mem- massive memorial for the Pope is, again, like yours, a day of the funeral at 6 p.m. We'll do a rosary and have mass. Um, I think uh, we're also encouraged to pray uh, pray the office of the dead. Yes. So for those... Uh, religious and deacons and priests who pray the liturgy of the hours. Um, there is a section, uh, it's in the very back, one of the appendices, um, but it's the office of the dead. Um, so we can pray that with the intention of the Holy Father. Um, one thing I thought was cool in, in doing the research and just kind of learning about uh, the papal funeral is if you or I were to celebrate in our churches, um, we have an option of colors. So typical for a funeral in general, um, white, violet, or black. But I thought it was interesting is you can... Uh, if you can, if you do a mass to remember a pope, uh, you wear red, yeah, because he is a successor of the apostles, um, or a successor of Peter, you know, right. bishop, of course, successor of the apostles. But um, just like whenever we celebrate an apostle, it's a uh, red, right, for the um, the color of the blood they shed. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, we were talking in our Christmas episode uh, the week after Christmas how um, J- John. Uh, the beloved disciple, when we celebrate his liturgy, he was a martyr, not indeed, but rather by word. Um, you know, we kind of hold that true with all the successors of Peter for the most part, can't say all of them. Some did uh, shed their blood, but for the most part, they were all martyrs by their deed and not so much by their, or their by their word, not so much by their deed. Cause most, most, not all, like I said, uh, did not die from, any sort of attack. So I, you know, that's something else to remember too. And yet we still were read for him because he is the successor of Peter, who of course was crucified in, in, uh, upside down. So we, that's also a very good thing to keep in mind as well. I think too, uh, kind of going with the color red, um, cause I know Benedict is famous for having worn them is they are the, uh, the red slippers. Um, right. Yes. Uh, so, you know, not the, not the ruby slippers from the Wizard of Oz, but uh, he'd have a pair of papal slippers that he would wear, I think, when he was only in Rome. Right. And it's to remind him and of others of that um, he's walking on the blood of the martyrs. Right. Yes. So especially like the Roman martyrs have a pride of place among the saints. Um, we remember them in the Roman canon. Right. Eucharistic prayer one. And then, Andy, it's funny you mentioned popes and martyrs because the first like 15 or so are martyrs. Yep. And that's you get the line, you know, Linus, Cletus, Clement, Sixtus. Cornelius Cyprian, Lawrence Cassaginus. Um, like, well, not Lawrence Cassaginus. That goes into other Roman yeah, martyrs. Yeah, goes for I know. Those I first keep... ones, right? Yeah, yeah, just keep going. Those yep. first ones were martyrs. So um, to be elected pope was a death sentence, right? And this is the first couple hundred years of the church uh, where Christianity is illegal and the Roman emperors are actively seeking to squash out uh, the Christian yes. faith. Um, so I thought that was cool too, the color red, um, that when the pope is in Rome, again, he is the bishop of Rome, that uh, he would wear red slippers to remind him of the of the martyrs in which he walks. It's interesting. I was looking at um, the posts of the uh, 
eparchy, I think that's what they call it, of St. Thomas Ciro Malabar Catholic Church. And um, they were showing some of the ways that they were remembering the Holy Father. And they the um, church as a reminder that he is the one that celebrates the liturgy. You know, we all receive our ability to celebrate the liturgy from the Holy Father. And so they lay the vestments out on the floor in front of their altar in their sanctuary uh, before the, the, you know, before anything else happens. So I just find that absolutely fascinating. Um, and, and it's just such a, a kind of a nice thing, in my opinion. You know, it's just to remind him that uh, he is still in a part of our liturgies. Even though he's dead now, we have him as part of the highest liturgy in the church. He is with the saints in heaven praying for us. We pray at least, you know, granted, we don't know where his soul is at, but we pray that that's where he is at. And we believe that when we celebrate the liturgy, we all gather together again. Right. Um, I think that was one of the sample intercessions that my bishop sent the priests, um, you know, for our for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, who reigned as Supreme Pontiff for eight years, um, that he may now worship in the heavenly liturgy. Yes. Um, and I think most of them, and and I do that too when I pray for the dead at Mass, um, you know, may they be seated at the heavenly banquet, banquet may they may they see God face to face. Um, and like I've probably said before, because I say it all the time, Christians, when it comes to death, we have hope, which is in the middle between despair and presumption. So we say, you know, may this deceased person um, be, you know, be moved speedily to the heavenly banquet, um, you know, and because they need our prayers. Um, I think one of uh, one of the worst things we could do for someone we love who has died is to not pray for them because exactly like they need our help more than whenever um, they, you know, in purgatory, we can't pray for ourselves. That's right. Um, and so they need our prayers. So I think especially, uh, you know, we pray that Pope Benedict be given the reward of his labors um, and that being Pope is not uh, an easy thing. Uh, I, I wouldn't believe it's anything that, that is sought after. And we know this because there's that, the room of tears, right? Yes. Um, is it like, is it next to the Sistine Chapel? I'm yeah. trying to think where it is. Um, where we're like, but it's like where the Pope, they have three sizes of white uh, cassocks. So when a Cardinal is elected Pope, he goes in to put it on for the first time and to address the crowd. And they say, you just cry because, uh, you know, in, in awe of the authority um, and to be Christ's vicar on earth and to represent the, the church in that way. Um, so again, with the, with a life uh, that was labored, um, in which he labored for the church, um, you know, we pray, we pray, like you said, that he be given his heavenly reward. Yes. And so now coming up on Thursday at his funeral liturgy, it's interesting that this funeral liturgy, uh, that there's really not too much that's going to be too different, but I think for people who are outside of um, the inner Catholic circle. I, that sounds bad, but like the, what I'm saying is like you and me who kind of know what's going on. And even I, who really don't always know what's going on. You, thankfully you were able to, to explain to me what was going on here. But I, I made a comment that we, I think we kind of both find interesting that with the celebration of the funeral liturgy, uh, Francis will be the celebrant, but he's not going to be the celebrant at the altar. And um, you explained to me why that was. So go ahead and explain for our listeners, like kind of what's what the thought process there is. Yeah. So um, I think like 
most speculation, again, that's done in reason. It could be a number of uh, reasons why uh, Pope Francis is not the main celebrant. Um, so so uh, Francis is going to preach at the Mass. But then it said that the dean of the College of Cardinals, who is Cardinal Giovanni Battista Re, he's, he'll, he'll be the main celebrant for the Liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, so we had a couple, you know, I came up with a couple of reasons. One is Pope Francis, uh, his, his physical health isn't great, right. especially his knees. You see him a lot in a wheelchair. Um, and for what would be a, probably a long day and a long ceremony, he might not be able to stand for that time. Um, the, the second thing is that typically when a pope died, the dean of the College of Cardinals was the main celebrant. Uh, and I believe he's also the one who announces the new pope um, after a consistory is held where they vote for a new pope. Um, he's the one who announces it. So um, I could see them not wanting to make too many changes because, you know, like you mentioned, it's been several centuries since the last time this happened, since like a, a pope retired, you know, and we had two popes at once. So I think maybe it's a blending of the two that as the current uh, reigning pope Francis would preach, um, but um, if he wasn't able to uh, celebrate, um, we know we talked before, I think he can't con-celebrate just right. like if a priest is saying mass, a bishop cannot concelebrate. Um, either the bishop is the main celebrant, or uh, he sits in um, in choir. So right. you know, um, you know, first masses or, or other funerals or things like that, um, uh, the bishop would sit in choir, which means uh, he would not uh, participate in the liturgy uh, liturgy of the Eucharist. Right, right. The other thing that some people might get a little confused with is um, there are some. Uh, news sources that are saying Pope Francis to preside at Requiem Mass. And I think people get a misunderstanding of what that means. Um, they Someone mentioned to me about how, uh, oh, he's going to celebrate the Latin Mass. Well, yes, technically, he that is a correct statement. But what they were mentioning is, oh, he's going to celebrate the traditional Latin Mass. No, it, it's going to be the Novus Ordo liturgy, but Requiem Mass, all that means is that he's, they're celebrating a funeral liturgy. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, it's not a common language for us to say here in the States to say, oh yeah, I'm celebrating a Requiem Mass. People immediately assume that it's going to be the, uh, the TLM or something like that. This is, this just, he's going to be celebrating the liturgy of the Roman church. And so it's, and it's going to be mostly in Latin because that's the mother tongue of the church, the language of the church. Um, but in the end, it's going to be, uh, he will be a, It'll be at a funeral liturgy, kind of almost like what you would see if you came to a funeral liturgy at a at a normal at, at a Catholic church in a, your parish, and uh, you'll see that. So you know, th just to get rid of some of those speculations and rumors, no, it's not the traditional Latin mass, but it will be a mass in Latin or in the Latin, Italian, and a few other languages. I believe that Spanish will be included as well. So it's not what we would say as a traditional latin mass right um i think you know at saint vincent where we went to seminary we would do a requiem mass of course that is right. all souls day so right. mass mass was in english um but the uh, antiphons so uh, i think uh we could say maybe those songs that are sung during a regular mass so like the entrance hymn uh the hymn for the offertory or the closing hymn those you can do antiphons and so those are sung by a scholar or choir those can be in Latin. So, you know, you're an iron scholar, so we know those, you know, like the, the Luxiterna. Yep. Um, uh, like what else was there? Uh, the In Paradisum, Chorus yep. Angelorum. So we'd sing those at different parts during the Mass that you wouldn't sing these at any other time. 
Um, cause I, I'm going through that text you sent me of the uh, program for the actual funeral. Um, yes. and I saw those in there and you know, there, there are, uh, the skull is going to sing other things like, um, I think some of the, um, or what one, I know some 129 is De Profundis, but, um, yes. what's the name of those Psalms or seven of them? Yeah. Like, like the exactly. penitential Psalms. Penitential. So, yes. Yeah. Again, and then that spirit for a requiem mass or funeral mass is, um, you know, to pray for that person, um, you know, that the person, you know, before their death, they had sorrow for their sins, um, and accepted God's mercy. So, um, it's not a depressing thing, but, um, I see it as we're helping them out now that they are in the next life. Um, like the one preface says their life has changed, but it not has not ended. ended. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, we could have a whole podcast on what people think about death nowadays, but, um, it's, you know, continuing to pray for that person. Uh, exactly. That you know they're they're going to meet their judge, right? But we know that Christ is perfectly just, but He's also perfectly uh, merciful. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at the intercessions, the universal prayers, and um, you know the first one is in Italian. The ent- introduction, I should say, is in Italian, and then the first one is Tedesco. I'm not sure what Tedesco is. So you have Tedesco, and then you have French, Portuguese, Italian. Um, and then the Holy Father will speak again in Italian. So, and you also have Arabic. I, I missed that one because oh, wow. it's in a different place. So you have the Arabic. So it's not just in Latin. It's not just in English. In fact, the second reading is being proclaimed in English. So, you know, there's, it's trying to show that the Holy Father is the head of the entire church. The number one language, of course, is Latin because that is the language of the church. For instance, the Eucharistic Prayer 3, that's actually in, that's in Latin. So you have all of these different Eucharistic parts in Latin, but it's because it's the mother tongue. But it's trying to bring everyone together into the church. Well, that's interesting. Um, I looked up Tedesco. Yes. I think it's it's the Latin word for German. Oh, that makes sense. Because the rest are, right, um... Like it's not necessarily in its own tongue, so like, um, that makes sense. Yes, for yeah. for den ermitten papis, I why didn't I read it? That would make right. well. I was googled the word Tedesco, and it's like, um, it's an medieval Latin word that makes that sense. comes from a Proto-Germanic language. Yeah, um, and that word means of the people or vernacular. So it just means you know, um, if I would have just been smart enough to read a little bit into the actual prayer, I, yeah, I looked den- and I'm like. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. look you know too uh, too uh, crazy. Yeah, that's German. Too foreign. That. So these are all the things that you're going to find. The other thing that is interesting, um, of course, is that some prayers, being that he is not the reigning pope, will be omitted. So there are certain prayers at the end of the funeral liturgy where we would have representatives from the diocese of Rome, where he is the bishop of would have specific prayers that they would say, but because they are meant for the reigning Pope, we won't say those. So that is being omitted. Um, There are certain things that as the retired Bishop, essentially the retired Bishop of Rome, it just, he doesn't receive. Um, That's no mark against him. That was because of his decision. And so, uh, you know, you have all of that. And then finally, at the end of the liturgy, the burial itself will be a private internment, just like it was for Benedict, or just like it was for uh, John Paul II and all the previous bishops. 
And one little bit of trivia, and I'm sure you might remember this father is, or know this father is that, do you know what spot he's going to be buried in? Is it uh, the one that John Paul II was in before yeah. his canonization? Yep. So yeah. he's going to take a rest right where John Paul II was until he was removed from that spot and then re- uh, now is elsewhere. So uh, Benedict will remain there until, God willing, if he becomes a saint and is uh, removed from his tomb, uh, he will remain there for the rest of eternity until the Lord comes again, whenever he decides that. So um, an eternity is not the right word for, for the rest of time until the Lord comes again. So um, that is what will happen. So we've kind of talked a little bit about everything that's going to go on and our memories of the Holy Father. How are some ways now at home, Father, that maybe we could pray for or celebrate uh, this holy man? Um, like the USCCB has encouraged us to pray uh, in, in our Father, Hail Mary and Glory Be, for the repose of the soul of the Pope uh, Emeritus, um, praying the rosary for that intention, and then um, doing acts of charity toward the poor. I think all those um, were recommended. I think those are good too, especially saying the prayers is because you can do those every day. Absolutely. Um, and especially during the uh, Novem Diales, right? those, those nine days of mourning, um, that can be something uh, simple you can do. Um, in addition to going to your diocese's uh, liturgies, celebrating the Pope, um, if your parish has a mass, to go to that, um, and just continuing to pray for him. Yeah. And uh, we'll have some links in the show notes of the episode about the uh, booklet for the funeral liturgies that you can be able to see on the Vatican's website. We'll have a few links to the USCCB uh, and the articles that they have produced for us on the life of Francis, as well as um, a link to uh, eBrievery where you can receive the uh Office of the Dead. If you wish to pray the Liturgy of the Hours, you can receive the Office of the Dead uh, for free to be able to uh, pray along with the rest of the church in the Liturgy of the Hours. So there's a lot going on right now in our church, and like uh, Father AJ said, it it's a joyous time, but it also has become a bit of a somber time. But in a way, uh, I think you know you and I can call back to our Benedictine education and remind ourselves and everyone that we come in contact with that um, death is difficult, but in this moment there is joy, and the joy is that we know where we go. We know what comes after this life. We know what we are praying for. And so, you know, Benedict was suffering near the end because of his older age. I think uh, we all kind of suffer a little bit as we get older. Uh, You know, nothing that we need to, oh, look at me how I'm suffering. But it is just a part of the human nature. The body deteriorates, the body falls apart, but it is great joy knowing that he is now at rest, at peace, and uh, is face-to-face with his creator. So we have that joy. It is somber, but it is still joyful moments. So The last thing I wanted to note is... um... There's a beautiful text. I can't remember in what letter of St. Paul it's in, but it says, um, you know, as Christians do not mourn like the rest of the world. Um, I think that's a really powerful funeral text too, um, or like maybe like, do not mourn as the pagans do. Because right. for them, death is the end. And, you know, that's we, you, you are obliterated into oblivion. But for us, you know, we mourn differently. You know, we, we mourn the loss that they're no longer here with us. We appreciate what they've done for us, but um, we have that uh, sure and certain hope, as the right says, that we'll see our loved ones again. Yeah. Yeah. 
What a beautiful thing. So we ask that you pray with us and for us and pray for the Holy Father as we go forward from this time uh, and give thanks to God for the great blessings that he has bestowed upon Benedict in this life. They are signs of your goodness and fellowship with us and all the saints. And we ask that the Lord take us back to himself at the end of our own lives and uh, give thanks for that gift of eternal life. So have a wonderful week. We encourage you to take a chance to uh, listen to all of our other episodes and check out the Holy Father uh, and his funeral liturgies. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, God bless. Take care.